Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we continue our series on success in the kingdom of God. We're not talking about how to get rich, but how to be rich. The wealth of God's kingdom is not an external marker of achievement, but an internal consistency of character. To help us see this, we will unpack 1 Timothy 6.6 and discuss what kind of gains this verse is talking about. We also discuss the means by which these will come. Okay, so we're going to continue our series in how to be rich as opposed to how to get rich. But part of the backdrop of all this, as you recall, is the reality that we are materially rich. If you go to globalrichlist.com, you can put in your America and you can put in the amount of money you make and see where you fit in in the world. And if you put in $31,000 a year, you will see the little calculator pop up and all the people zoom and you'll see that you're in the upper 1% of income earners in the world at $31,000 a year. If you put in $10,000 a year, you're in the top 16% in the world at $10,000 a year. And then of course, if you put in numbers that are like the starting salary for an engineer type numbers, then boy, you get into the stratosphere. Because you live in America, and America is a tremendous aberration in both the world today and human history. Al and I were talking this morning and speculating that if you were to be able to get into a time capsule and go back and actually live like Solomon lived in his house and in his bedroom without an iPad, no cell phone, You get to go in a chariot everywhere you go, get in a, maybe one of those walking chairs where they carry you around. It might be cool for a little while, but then if they said, okay, you want to keep living Solomon's life or go back to Midland? Bet you'd say, I want my F-150 back. Because we just live in a ridiculously rich time. We're incredibly blessed. But it turns out that that doesn't actually make us rich. So let's look at 1 Timothy 6 today. We've been looking at different ways to be rich. And looking at last week, we looked at wisdom as a way of being rich. And we looked at the reality that if we listen to God, that is actually buying gold from God. We actually get treasure and gold and silver from listening to God. And when we listen to God and understand and live life that way, we actually become incredibly rich. Well, today we're going to look at another component of being rich. You can't get rich without getting a lot of stuff, a big gain. So let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, that's a very interesting sentence, don't you think? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, of course, richness involves great gain, a great accumulation. So, 
Let's look at what this means. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If godliness with contentment is great gain, then what would that tell us is not great gain? Godliness without contentment. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of kind of uh, funny sounding. I looked at this word godliness some, and it in the lexicon, it talks about this word and several other words as being basically the same thing, which is piety. And it's the ancient idea of the proper way to behave toward a deity, the proper behavior toward a deity. We can get a sense of this word in James 1. Let's go to James 1. And there the a word that's in this family, it's not the same word, is translated religion. James 1, 26. So if anyone among you thinks he is religious or pious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's piety is useless. So one of the ways that you are pious or religious in a way that's useless is if you can't bridle your tongue. Now, what does that mean, bridle your tongue? What happens if you get on a horse that doesn't have a bridle on it? Yeah, it just goes wherever it wants to go, right? And probably means back to the barn. So an unbridled situation means there's no control over it. Well, what does an unbridled tongue do? Trash other people. Now, why would you trash other people? What is the purpose of trashing another person? Oh, you elevate yourself. Okay, that's one. You elevate yourself by depressing them. Okay, good. What's another reason to trash someone? What's that? Well, okay, why would you trash someone because you're upset? Revenge, okay? It's you're, you're paying them back. They need to be judged, and so you're judging them with your tongue, and which, which means you've appointed yourself as what? The judge of the world. Yes, of course. Uh, you put yourself in God's shoes at that point in time. It's playing God, uh, controlling other people in various ways. This is what an unbridled tongue does. And an unbridled tongue is not a path to real piety because a real piety would recognize me as God or God as God. And if I'm going to recognize God as God, knowing that I tend to want to get in his shoes, well, then I've got to bridle my tongue. You see the point? So there's this need for some control of ourselves, some self-control, if the religion is going to be useful. So how could you be pious and still have an unbridled tongue? What would that look like? Okay, hypocrisy. But what, what would you do to be pious? What's a typical kind of thing? And again, we're talking ancient world here. This is not Christianity or Judaism specific. Okay. You're judging people. So piety, but what, what, if you're going to say this is pious things to do, what would the kind of things be that really are pious? Okay, maybe you do charity. Maybe you give stuff, huh? You follow the rules. Yeah, every, every religion has some kind of rules, doesn't it? So you're going, you're going to go to the thing, whatever the thing is. The thing might be the temple or the pagoda or the, or the thing might be the, the, uh, 
uh, assembly or the meeting or the sacrifice place or the festival or the solstice or the whatever. You're going to go to the thing and you're going to probably wear the stuff. You're going to go to the thing and wear the stuff. Think of the image of what Christ described in Pharisees as the outward robes. They like to sit in the high places. They like to be noticed. They like to pray these loud yeah, public prayers. They did the thing. They wore the stuff. They they followed the rules, right? Mint, dill, and cumin. Mint, dill, and cumin. Have you ever seen cumin? You ever pour a little cumin? Can you imagine counting out 10% of the cumin? Go to the spice cabinet and start doing that. But they were meticulous about following the rules. So it's very pious. And has any did Jesus ever criticize them for doing those things? Those things. He never did. He never criticized them for following the rules. What did he say to do? Follow the rules, but? He said it's, not, it's better to, not to leave these done and the other undone. Yes, yeah. So what did they leave undone? Mercy. Mercy and justice. It's okay to do the stuff and go to the thing and, and all that. It's okay. But that doesn't really get to the point. The point is what flows out of your heart and your mouth. Right? That's, that's kind of the point of this. So let's go back to 1 Timothy 6, where we're talking about getting the stuff. 1 Timothy 6, we are talking about gain. A gain, when I say the word gain, hey, I had a phenomenal gain. What, what pops into your head? Money. money, okay. Yeah, I had a big money. What, what kind of gain would you expect somebody like me might have? Well, yeah, I had a big gain. We had a big well that, that hit. Stocks went up, something like that. So we got godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It's certainly we can carry nothing out. Now, by, by that sentence, we know what about this gain? It's not of this world, okay? We know this is not of this world. And isn't that interesting that he says godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we can carry nothing out. Now, isn't that fascinating? So why? what's he getting at here? What's the, what's the, why does he bring that sentence up? Okay, it's a true eternal gain. It's, and it could be current, though. It doesn't have to be something that we wait for. So it's a spiritual gain, let's say, and an eternal gain. But let's go back and look at this whole context here. Look at, start in verse 1. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke. So what does that mean, a bondservant under the yoke? What's a yoke? It's the, it's the harness. It's the harness, right? So why do you put an ox under the harness? So you can control it to do what? Work. 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 Okay, so you're a bondservant and you are employed to work. You have an obligation to work if you're a bondservant. That's that, that right? Okay. So let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. So if you're an ox and you've got a yoke on, how do you honor your master. You did, yeah, which is what? What are you supposed to do? Work, right. Pull hard. Yeah, get those horns on that burden and push. And encourage others to do the same. Yes. Why? Why do you want to do that? So the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. Isn't that interesting? So what, what may be happening here? What, what, what do you infer from this? It's like you do it. 
Okay, so, so your employer asks you to do something, you say, I don't want to do that. But wh- how, how could you do that in such a way that the name of God and his doctrine would, would, would be blasphemed? Bad attitude. Bad attitude? And, wh- and what particularly, how, what's the attitude you could have that would really bring, bring blasphemy? Yes, you're not the boss of me. Who's my boss? God is my boss. If God tells me to do this, then I'll do it. But I've got more important things to do. I'm witnessing. I'm praying. You may think I'm fishing when you see me on the outside, but inside I'm petitioning for the saints all over the world. Right? So, no, 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 no. Don't use... Your service to God is an excuse not to work. That will blaspheme God. Work all the more for your master, even if your master is ungodly. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they're brethren. Now, why would you despise your boss because he's a brethren? Or your master, you're a slave, your master. Slaves in this time period are mostly have an economic contract. If you will do this for me, get me out of debt or redeem my house or whatever, I'll work for you for seven years type thing for the most part. Okay, so you say, my believing master, why would you despise your master because you're because uh, he's a believer? Jealousy. jealousy could be jealousy. How? Huh? Look, we're, we're, believe, we're brothers here. Um, you're asking me to do all this work. Why don't you lighten up? As a matter of fact, why don't you just let me out of my contract? As a matter of fact, why don't you just give me all your stuff? As a matter of fact, why don't you just, we just swap places? Because we're brothers, right? Why should you ask me to do all that work? You didn't ask Herman to do all that work. And he, he's a <laughs> He's too scary. Yeah, so, so. If you have a believing master, don't despise them because they're brethren, but serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Work for them even harder. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome word, what kind of teaching has been going on here? False teaching is going on. And what's the underlying message here to this false teaching? Because... I'm a believer. These people owe me. In fact, if we go back to the unbridled tongue, when we're criticizing or we're trying to control, really what we're saying is, this person owes me. They're obligated in some way to perform for me for my benefit. And all I'm doing is giving me my, myself my just due. It's, this is a pretty easy attitude to slip into. We're all kind of born with it. Have you noticed that? No, no. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. You know, there's a whole stream of teaching about prosperity that says... God owes you. And if he doesn't perform for you, then you're doing something wrong. It's your fault. Because if you don't have the right kind of faith, then God won't perform his tricks. If you do have the right kind of faith, God will perform his tricks. Which means 
You're in control. And God will perform for you. It's a very popular way of thinking. We like to think we're in control. This all amounts to the same thing. We have a master that's asking us to do stuff. And we say, that's not reasonable. That is not a reasonable request. You're obligated to put me in circumstances that make me comfortable. I'm not going to do that job that you gave me to do. It's beneath me. Same difference, right? Well, well, what that attitude is, is proud. Well, of course it's proud because it says, I know better. I should be in control. You should serve me. And it likes disputes and arguments over words. Isn't this how we make this attitude manifest is with words? You know, Marxism is this way. Marxism died as a, in the form of communism, but it's just remorphing itself into a new strain. And, and Marxism is still real powerful. It's basically taken over our universities for the most part. And what they promote is this attitude. They owe you. They owe you. Who, who owes you? Well, they do. They owe you. The man, the man owes you. Well, who's the man? They are the man. <laughs> and they're just promoting this. And, and what they're really saying is what? If you have this attitude of you owe me, okay, you can have it with anybody, can't you? You can have it with your spouse. You owe me. What have you done, really? Place yourself above them. Place yourself above them. Control. Who's controlling who? You're trying to control them. What's really happened? They're controlling you. You've actually made yourself a slave to them. How? My happiness is depending on you. That's why I have to be so virulent and possessive about this is because my whole being and happiness is depending on you smiling at me right now. And if you don't, I'm going to crater. Don't you realize... How, I have to control you because my happiness is dependent on you. Isn't it interesting how things always end up upside down when we do it the world's way? Well, of course, that leads to disputes and arguments because that's how I try to control you because my happiness is dependent on you. We now have 14,000 women in Malawi that have gone through the Changing Me program. Anybody in here done some of that teaching? Yes, Okay. And that's the point of the whole program, isn't it? That if you say, it's, I, it, my husband, I require for my happiness, my husband has to behave a certain way, you're a slave. And if you start saying, hey, I'm just going to let God change me from the inside out, I'll try serving my husband, it's just you're not a slave anymore. You're free. And what, what's been the basic response from those women? So supportive of the men there, but... but. And they're very submissive to the men there, but outwardly, yes, but inwardly they're madder than heck. Yeah, <laughs> and this has just freed them up to. They don't have to be mad anymore. And now, and they know that they answer to Christ. Yeah, yeah. So their happiness is not dependent on the way their husbands. And what's the husband's response been? Wow. Yeah. Like yeah. Well, and why do they like it? Because they, they already had quote unquote submissive wives. But what's different now? She's happy. Attitude. The attitude, yeah, they're not being submissive out of obligation now. They're doing it because they want to. And the men are like, hey, what, what'd you do to my wife, right? And they're not trying to control their husbands. 
Oh, they're not trying to control their husbands. Oh, we know men love to be controlled by women. (laughs) Well, of course, your wife, after she taught this in Malawi, came back and was a changed person. James, do you want to tell us all about that? So this comes envy, strife, reviling, envy, uh, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth who suppose godliness as a means of gain. Do you see the connection of godliness as a means with gain with the first couple of, of uh, verses? How does that work? How's godliness a means of gain? You have to do for me because, yeah, my piety causes me to be able to obligate you to do something for me. Have you ever had somebody tell you you're obligated to hire them because they're a Christian? You're obligated to buy your stuff? Boy, you know, I I don't know about you, but I've learned when somebody starts telling me what a great Christian they are, all of my antennas go up. What does that tell me? They're hiding something really bad. They've got some kind of shield up because there's something bad wrong underneath. Because their performance of actually doing the job isn't going to be sufficient, so they have to have a cover of some kind. Now, that's not always the case, but it's pretty typically the case. Because these guys think piety is a means of gain. Hey, if I put this if I put this shield on, if I put this label on, if I wear this badge, I can make more money. Or I can obligate people to advance me. From such withdraw yourself. Don't have any, don't have anything to do with that. That's just corrupt. Now, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So it's not this obligating the world, it's something completely different. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.